You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. It's time for the VolQuest podcast where we dissect the biggest news items of the week. Hey, everybody. Welcome into the VolQuest Tuesday podcast here at VolQuest.com and on the VolQuest YouTube channel. As always, please like, subscribe to the VolQuest channel. Awesome prize, Rob Lewis, Brent Hubs. I am Eric Kane. Got a lot to discuss here today on this VolQuest podcast that is brought to you now by Exterior Home Solution, a great company, Austin, that we are thrilled to be partnering with. Yeah, Jeff, Dustin, they all do a great job if you need it. A garage build, you need a new roof, which is what they really uh, are, are specialists in. If you need siding, they do a little bit of everything at Exterior Home Solutions and, you know, give them a call and, and, and you know, get them out for, a you know, an estimate or, or if you want to try to, you know, like I said, if you're needing that new roof, you know, it's that time of year um, where you can get a new roof before we get to those summer storms. So uh, a great time uh, to uh, kind of get a jump start on some of those things you need done at your house or around your house. Yeah, we got plenty to discuss here today. Um, it's been a rough two-week span for Tennessee basketball this past week. Back-to-back losses at the buzzer. How will this team respond? The uh, Oklahoma and Texas are coming to the SEC in 2024. We discussed this a little bit last week about the the mixed reports, but uh, they are coming July of 2024 to play football in the SEC. And with that, there will be a new scheduling model. And so we're going to discuss who we want to see Tennessee with those permanent opponents. But first, Brent Hubbs, a Tennessee icon, has passed away earlier this week uh, through the night on Sunday night at age 99, a true VFL in every sense. Uh, Gus Manning has gone home, and as Austin Price tweeted out earlier this week, he's doing the locker room at the Pearly Gates. What a legend. Uh, what, what an iconic career he is, Tennessee. Um, everything about Gus Manning is Tennessee, and um prayers to his family and his friends. And, and I tweeted this as well. I mean, if you were a friend of Gus Manning's, you were family, you were, you were a part of Gus's family and um, just, just a, a treasure. I, I don't, I don't know really how else to say it. Um, a, an unbelievable storyteller, Rob Lewis. I mean, you would find yourself on, on media day during football weeks back in the olden days, you just kind of gravitated over to his chair and you kind of hope that Bud Ford might be late getting that, that press conference started because there might be another good story or two coming out from the great Gus Manning. Man, Hubber, I tell you, I mean, when I really got to know Gus and, and one of the things that I, I really treasure about, you know, this lot of work was way back Buzz Peterson was still the basketball coach. And, you, you know, I mean, Gus used to have a, that office down in Thompson Bullet Arena, which was, you know, a little cubby hole, which was just, a, I mean, like a time capsule. I mean, you can, you know, find, you know, uh, something you know, you can find a pen that, that General Nealon wore in the, the night, you know, nineteen fifty eight Gator Bowl or something, you know, to sit on the desk or whatever. But I used to pop in there and and visit with Gus, you know, at least once a week for you know twenty or thirty minutes during basketball season during practice, you know, before practice started or something. And and, and you know, didn't not claim to have gotten to know him well, but I got to know him and and w- was really. I mean, it, it was a very rewarding experience. I mean, you talk about just a, 
I mean, a walking treasure trove of, I mean, he could just drop, you know, some line nonchalantly and, you know, it would be a, a little slice of Tennessee history, you know, about, you know, General Nealon kicking the Orange Bowl trophy or the Gator Bowl trophy through a window at Ponte Vedra, you know, you know, reliving an extra point kick or, or something. And just, I mean, just can't, can't say enough about, I mean, I hope you summed it up. I mean, I'm reiterating it, but just, he, he was a, tra- he was an a absolute treasure. I mean, just to, I mean, some of the stories, some of the best stories you can't tell, <laughs> you know, and, and, and even, but there, there's a million of them. I mean, they involve, you know, Bear Bryant, Elvis. I mean, it, I mean there's, it's like six, degree, six degrees of separation with, you know, 20th century, you know, pop culture in, in Tennessee with Gus Manning. I, you know, and for me, you know, I, I was lucky enough, you know, in his later years when he was still living at home, um, to go over and do a feature on him and, and, you know, the fact they'd get together every Monday night and play cards, he and a bunch of the people from, you know, sports information, the athletic department, you know, who would have helped out over the years. They'd get together with him as, you know, as he's getting older just to kind of keep him, you know, reinvigorated about things. And, uh, you know, the biggest thing I can say about Gus, Gus Haywood, that that generation they were characters and they were characters from a standpoint of they had personality um you know they grew up in a generation and, and you know not to make eric feel young here because this is not my intent but rob brent and i we grew up where we called people on the phone people don't call people on the phone anymore they text they snapchat they you know i, I think you lose some of the personalization um with today's you know generation of of, of person um but you know I think he just he, he just had such a you know such a personality and 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 continued to have that later in life. I think that you know you you just kind of you know, learn to appreciate that. And I did tweet that Eric. You're right. I mean, uh, him he and Haywood were so tight. Um, Gus always needling Haywood. Um, you know, it, it that those two are kind of back together, and and that just kind of feels right. When they recorded the locker room at WIVK, when they came in, Gus came in with nothing. Like, he had no papers. He had nothing. And basically, Haywood had a loose script to kind of follow for the locker room. And Gus just ignored it. He, he just – Gus just – he just talked about whatever he wanted to talk about. And, and, and it would drive – you know, it would drive Haywood – in a fun way, it would drive him crazy, you know, because Gus just, there was no script with Gus, nothing, nothing said script with, with Gus Manning and, and anything that he did. Uh, two, two of my highlights with Gus, my, 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 two of my funnest memories, stories, hangouts with, with Gus Manning is I was on the back of a bus going from Chicago city to South Bend, Indiana for, um, Tennessee had landed. They had had a walk through, and they were going to their hotel, uh, or vice versa. I don't remember which direction we were going, but it was on a trip to Notre Dame. And I'm sitting in the back of a bus, and it's one of those buses in the back two rows that had a little table there. And you sat there, and it was Gus and Haywood, and they were sitting across from each other. And it was like an hour bus ride, I guess, fifty minutes, something like that. And they just told it. They told stories for fifty minutes. And like it was one of those things, like everybody sitting around, nobody spoke. Like nobody was wearing headphones or earbuds. Nobody was, you know, trying to do anything else. They just sat and listened to those guys tell stories. And um, I wish I'd have recorded the conversation. It was just a historical lesson, um, talking about 
you know, Heisman trophies and, and runner ups and J- John majors, you know, not winning the Heisman trophy and, and everything with, it, it was just fantastic. And, and then following the 98 championship season, Tennessee goes to Washington DC to meet the president, but they didn't go until August uh, for scheduling conflicts. So Tennessee went up in the middle of two days and the university wanted obviously some publicity for it. So they let, three or four of three or four media people travel with the team up to the, up to the white house. And so Gus is on that trip. And so it's hot. Coach Fulmer's bothered by the fact that Tennessee's going up there in the middle of fall camp and, you know, they're going to go sightseeing or whatever. He was ready to meet the president, shake a hand and get back. Cause the timing of it was not very good. So we go and we meet the president, they go through the line, you meet the president, you do all that get on a bus we're heading back towards the airport and they stop in to the Jefferson Memorial. Well, I've seen the Jefferson Memorial multiple times and obviously Gus had, and a bunch of us didn't get off the bus. And I, you know, we just kind of sit in the back of the bus and we're sitting there waiting and Gus just out of the blue turns to me and goes, Hey boy. I said, yeah, he goes, you remember all them skimmages we had back in the preseason? And I said, yeah, Gus, I remember those. And I won't say exactly what he said, but he basically said, I thought we was going to be a really crappy football team. How in the world did we end up at the White House? And it was just classic Gus out of the blue on a day of celebration, and we just sat there and cackled and laughed because that team in the preseason couldn't score a t- couldn't score a point. They thought they were going to be any good. It wasn't Gus picking on anybody, but it was just kind of that surreal moment where Gus, unfiltered, just laid out what all of us were thinking. It's like, how in the world did Tennessee find a way to win the national championship? And um, that was Gus. And, and Gus was always – he always had a story. He always had a smile. And he always had time. That was the other thing. Gus always had time for you. Maybe it was five minutes. Maybe it was 30 minutes, depending on what your time schedule was. But he was never in too big of a rush to ignore you or to walk past you or to not say hello or visit with you a second. He always asked you how you were doing. And uh, I always appreciate – you know, being a young guy, here's this icon, and he was willing to spend some time. He and Haywood both were willing to spend some time and 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 teach you some history. Just stuff you don't read in books, right, Rob? I mean, just stuff you're not going to – the media guy doesn't tell the story. The box score doesn't tell the story uh, of some of those things. And those are the memories that I will treasure, getting to hear those stories from, from those two guys. Same, same here. And, you know, Haywood's been gone for a while now, but got to know him not as well as Gus, but it was just, it was just hard to really appreciate how much Gus had seen and, and experienced, you know, how far back he went. It, it, this is, this is my last one. It's a, it's a, doesn't have anything to do with Tennessee, but it tells you just, you know, kind of gives you a sense of just how much, you know, Gus had lived through. I remember him telling me he bought one of the first houses in, in what you would call West Hills, you know, behind where the, the Knox County public library, Yep, is that's where I went. You know, paper mill, paper mill area, you know, across from P.F. Chang's, for people who are familiar. Across, over Bearden Hill is is the big the, the big point here. And he had told he, – he told me a story about tell, telling General Nealon where he had just bought bought his first house and was moving to. And the general told him, it's like, good God, Gus, you're moving all the way out there in the country? <laughs> and it's <laughs> – it's literally off the paper mill exit, you know, <laughs> over Bearden Hill now. I mean, that's that's how long, you know, Gus was. I mean, I, I would have, I wasn't here then, but I imagine that really was farmland at the time. 
Who knew you and General Nealon would have the same perspective, Rob? Exactly. <laughs> you go past Krispy Kreme, Rob that thinks is, going to Montana. That's pretty far. I, constantly pretty far, get, I, I live in Hardin Valley, and I constantly get needled about, you know, did I have to stop and spend the night at Cedar Bluff on the way home? <laughs> And, and and all the and all these uh, or, or AP, um, I've got to go to Turkey Creek. Can I stop and spend the night at your house? Spend the night, yeah. <laughs> well, it was it was. I mean, in the later years, it was tough for for Gus and Haywood. They they notoriously did stop in Lenore City and and take a nap uh, on I a trip the, on a book tour Chattanooga on 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 their book tour. At, at one point, they they got tired uh, on the drive out of Knoxville and and took a rest in in, in Lenore City. Um, <laughs> but this, again, I, I mean. 99 years, what a life to, to live 99 years and, and to experience everything he experienced. Um, not just with UT athletics, Rob said it best. I mean, you know, he's hanging out with Elvis when Elvis is playing at Stokely, you know, I mean, just every, every iconic figure and moment that came through um, Knoxville that put on a concert or a show of some kind, Gus had the opportunity to not just see it, but to, to be around it and, and to talk to people and um, so many people, he taught the business on how to do it and how to treat people the right way. He, he will be greatly missed, but hats off to 99 years of a great life. Anybody, anybody that knew Gus and I'll end my thing, he, he, he much like myself didn't have much of a filter and would, and would just, would just say what was on his mind. And I, I love that about him. Um, I, I just think that, you know, again, character, uh, that's that's the word for me with Gus Manning. 99 years old. What a life. They uh, evolve for life in every sense of the uh, the phrase there. And, I mean, he was he was watching Tennessee basketball up until just, <laughs> I mean, seeing tweets and seeing stuff out there on social media just a couple of weeks ago, you know, saying, hey, Tennessee won by three, rooting on Josiah Jordan James, all that good stuff. So um, a legend, and it's been really cool the last couple of days just to, just to hear more stories about uh, the life that he lived. So thoughts and prayers to his family, but – a Tennessee legend, um, and uh, that was uh, that is Gus Manning. All right, let's shift gears here, Rob. It was a, a disastrous, disastrous week for Tennessee on the basketball court. Uh, back-to-back losses at the buzzer, uh, most recently to Missouri, in a game where Tennessee trailed by as many as 17 in the second half. Claude fought its way back. Tyree Key had a great game. Tennessee got a six-point lead there towards the end, but Missouri wouldn't go away, and uh, some critical – Things had to happen down the stretch, and they all happened Missouri's way, and they threw out that prayer, and it, and it went in. Where does the Tennessee basketball team go from here, and kind of what's the mood around that program right now? Well, I mean, the mood is surprisingly upbeat. I mean, we're taping this a little bit before I'll be over there to you know see Coach Barnes' players um, this afternoon. But I was that, that was the biggest surprise to me on Saturday afternoon was how upbeat the head coach was. But for me, from my perspective, I mean, they're they're in trouble. I mean, they're in trouble in, in regards to where they were two weeks ago. I mean, they're ranked number two in the country. They're in the conversation for a number one seed. Everybody has a pencil in to play in Greensboro, which is a nice, juicy little first-round site, you know, if, if you're Tennessee. Now they've lost three or four and are very realistically or should be realistically worried about being a top-four seed in the SEC tournament. Especially with the next, you know, three games. Yes. I mean, you know – and we we had this discussion on our version of the locker room um, Sunday night, and you know, I I just think the Alabama game is the most key because you got to protect home court. Uh, it's going to be the toughest because um, Alabama's playing so well. But you've got to protect home court. If you can win the game midweek this week, and then just 
steal one of the two on the road, whether it's at A&M or at Kentucky, going two and one in that stretch would be pretty, pretty good. And again, that gives you another uh, tier one win over Alabama. But I'm with you, Rob. Like if, if you end up in that, you have to play a day earlier than you, you know, you thought you were going to in the SEC tournament. I, I think that's a rough patch. Now, I do think the best thing coming out of this two-game losing stretch here is that Tyreek Key seems like he's gained a little confidence, found a little confidence. And to me, he can be a uh, tipping point for the basketball team, especially if they get Josiah back this week. Um, you know, if he can continue to give them between two and four three-pointers a game and, 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 and be a real threat and a consistent threat, I think that changes things, don't you? Oh, big time. I mean, and he doesn't need to like you're saying, just you know, a couple three couple three pointers. He doesn't need to score twenty, but if he could be a consistent, reliable double digit scorer, I, I think it's really big for this team because I mean, let's, I mean, let's face it, I mean, that's that's been their struggle all year long is scoring. I mean, it'd be it'd be preferable if you could you know have a big guy that that you can ride on night in and night out. But I mean, I, I don't think that's happening. So any 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 place that can find a spark on offense is big, but. I mean, not a great place right now. I mean, you've got health concerns. You've lost three or four. You pretty clearly are not playing as good as you were, you know, two, three weeks ago. And you're getting ready to play your toughest three games of, this, of the conference season. Rob, back to Key for just a second. Was, was his play, he played really well? Was that a benefit of the fact that the two teams Tennessee played last week or gave up the most points defensively of anybody in the league coming in? So there's more open opportunities for him was he hunting his shot more did, did you sense that he was different and, and I know everybody's cautious about anybody quote turning the corner at this point but but did you feel like there was something different with Tyreek or was that more of what the defense kind of gave them because they're not a, they, those two were not great defensive teams in, in Vanderbilt uh, in Missouri well I don't think you throw that out the window I and mean, I think you have to take into account that, you know, Missouri and Vandy legit are the, the probably the two worst defensive teams in the league. And Tyreek just, you know, had his best two games. But at the same time, however, I, I thought I thought he was a much different player. I mean, I really thought you could see it at Vanderbilt and in, in the second half against Missouri. Now, and it wasn't there in the first half. I mean, he had halftime with two points and just taking a couple shots. But second half against against Missouri, absolutely. I mean, can will it carry over? I mean, I'm, you'd like to think so. I mean, a guy just – those up 21 points in, in 20 minutes. I mean, that's that's no joke. I mean, he was as hot, legit, as anybody I've seen outside of Chris Lofton on that court for, for 20 minutes. I mean, everything he was throwing up was was I mean, five three-pointers in one half is is a pretty big deal. Yeah. And not a lot of guys can do that. Yeah, so, unfortunately, it got overshadowed. But, yes, yeah. you're right. You're right. The, 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 the other thing, too, is, I mean, everybody was bragging on this backcourt, you know, three weeks ago. Uh, with, with Zakai and Santi, and they certainly have not become bad players. Where do you think they are mentally? I mean, Zakai's had foul trouble the last two games. I mean, three fouls in a minute and 27 down the stretch by Zakai Ziegler. Just, that's just not very very good basketball. There's nothing that says heady basketball about playing that way. And then obviously Santi's had the two, you know, the two missed opportunities at the free throw line. Where, where do you think those guys are headspace-wise? Man, I, I think Zakai will be just fine. I mean, that – that little dude is just, you know, <laughs> can't, you can't be any tougher than that guy. But, I mean, you're right. I mean, to see him, you know, with a with a kid who I think has a really good basketball IQ to, to make those plays late in the game in the final, you know, two or three minutes to make your, to commit your fifth foul 85 feet from the basket 
in a game like that. And that, I mean, I, I th- that's something he just can't do. And I'll be, I'll be surprised if he's not better for it. Santi, I mean, how about he's, we, we've seen him hit a bunch of big shots. We've seen him go to the foul line and those situations have come through. I just, I mean, I have to think it's a fluke, but I, but I also have to think it's, you know, something he's got to negotiate mentally and get past. Cause I mean, I, you know, we haven't talked to him and I don't blame Tennessee. I wouldn't have read him out, you know, in front of the media either after that on Saturday. But I mean, you have to think it's a mental hurdle that, that he's got to get past. I mean, to literally have two games in the palm of your hand. And when you've done it so many times before that exact situation and to come up short, I would, I would have to think that that's something that he's struggling with right now. Yeah, that just first was, guy, or, was about an air, that first free throw he missed was about an air ball, Eric. Mm-hmm. I mean he he I mean he he shot it about fourteen and a half feet instead of yeah. fifteen feet. He barely grazed the rim on that deal. Yeah, yeah, it did not look good. And, and Rob, I was going to ask you not just for Santi, but you know a question that that I've seen asked and a little bit over the last week and especially the last couple of days since the Missouri loss, but not just for Vescovy, but for this team overall, are they kind of in their heads right now? Um, is it one of those things? And I feel like a little bit of that could be human nature. I mean, but you got to move past it. But seeing the way they've lost the last two games at the buzzer so late, especially after that comeback and all that, is this something to where they're playing a little too tight? They're not confident in themselves. And if so, I mean, I feel like you know, it's never going to get better uh, until they move past that, especially with Alabama coming to town. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I don't think they play tight. EC. I mean, I mean, I could be wrong. I'm not. I'm not in their heads, but um, I, I think they play with a lot of confidence. I just. I mean, something is. I'm not. I'm not saying that you know that, that there's not stuff. You know, they're not struggling mentally right now. But I don't. I don't think they go out there and, and play tight and press. I mean, I just. I think teams have have kind of got their number right now, and if if they're. I, if they're playing without Josiah and uh, and Julian, that's a big deal. I mean, I don't think it's a coincidence that Missouri you know scored the most points anybody scored on him this year and shot fifty plus percent with Josiah on the bench. I mean, I think that's I think that's significant. And if, if they're not at full strength, it's these next three games are not going to go well. Well, kind of at the time of this recording, to the best of your knowledge, kind of where is Tennessee with those guys in the injury front? Yeah, I don't know. Like I said, we're, we're, we're recording this before we go to practice th- this afternoon where we'll get a lot more answers. Um, with Julian, you know, on Friday, it didn't seem like a big deal at all. Uh, last Friday, with, you know, with, with the hip thing, because we were we were in practice, it was open. And, you know, he, he shut it down afterwards, but it wasn't remotely obvious that he was, you know, going to struggle with it like that on, on Saturday. And, and Josiah, I'm just, I'm just guessing here. I'll be surprised if he plays on Wednesday. He, it, we had him out for the locker room, Rob. He had just come from three or four hours of treatment. He was coming to the locker room. He was getting some Japanese food. He was going back for more treatment. So, like, I mean, like, he, he told me, he's like, I'm doing everything I can to be able to play this week. He was moving around again. That's not cutting. That's not running. He was moving around, you know, somewhat, somewhat fine. Uh, you know, I would probably, I think you're right. I think I would, I would call it up in the air. I think there's probably a little better chance now, um, based off talking to him than maybe they thought, uh, you know, exiting, um, the Vanderbilt game, but, uh, but yeah, I think it's still very much up in the air. Yeah. And everybody we're, we're taping this on, on Monday. So don't take this as like, we're reporting injury news. I mean, we're just, I'm just guessing. And, right. and so, you know, so is AP. I mean, we're not. Well, and, and I think the interesting thing from a, from a, the standpoint too of 
you know, you're thinking this week because Rob, you want to avoid, you know, you want to get the double buy if you can. But, but also, I mean, you're a tournament basketball team. Now you're playing for seeding at this point, but you're a postseason tournament basketball team. You know, you don't want to take on any chances of putting somebody out there prematurely to where it's it's a nagging, aggravating injury. You know, in, in postseason play, and that's something that I think you have to consider um and look at if you're if you're Tennessee I'm not saying you hold him but but I'm just saying I think you have to be careful don't you because I mean you you got to have Josiah Jordan James you know for the NCAA tournament at 100 percent and whatever it takes to get him there that that's where you got to go if that if that means you're drop a line on the you know drop a, a number on the seed line I think you'd give that up to have him on the floor for you to make sure he doesn't re-aggravate the ankle and it'd be problematic for him in the postseason right yeah, I, I agree. I mean, it's and Tennessee does a good job with that. And their, their training staff, their strength and conditioning folks are um, excellent. And obviously, I think, you know, and, and I don't mean this flippantly, they have a lot of experience with Josiah. I mean, he's a guy that, that clearly is, you know, they, they, they have a good read on. I mean, I think physically, he's a guy that, that um, they have a lot of experience with. And, and yeah, you, you want him out there for Alabama, but you also, you know, you don't want him out there for 10 minutes and, you know, he tweaks it again. He's out for two weeks. Well, we're in Tennessee. They got their work cut out for them here this week. Of course, we'll go to Thompson Bowling Arena on Wednesday, take on Alabama, and we'll hit the road in Lexington on Saturday to take on Kentucky, trying to ride the ship, lost three what or four, two at the buzzer. What a, what, I mean, you have no idea what you're going to get with Kentucky. Yeah. I mean, that, that's going to be – that's going to be fascinating to, to see what happens. Exactly. And, and, you know, I think internally the big question for me is, is, you know, how does this team handle close game situations down the stretch, right? I mean, they, they, how many how many possession-by-possession possession type games have they been in this season, Rob? They've lost the last two they've been in, but how many times have they been really in that situation all, all year long um, down the stretch like that? So how, how does this team kind of get there, I, I think, is – is the is the big picture question for them the next couple of weeks? Yeah, again, I, I, maybe I'm naive, but I mean, I, the bigger concern to me right now is health. Uh, is, is getting Julian and Josiah back because mentally, you know, I could be wrong. Maybe I'm, 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 you know, just not taking it seriously enough. Mentally, I think they're going to be fine, and I I base a lot of that on talking to some coaches on Saturday, seeing how the players were in the media room after the game. It was just. It what and, and and you guys know this. This is a head coach that if he if he feels it's warranted, he'll he'll throw any and everybody under the bus. And and it, there was none of that on Saturday, which again makes me feel like you know I'm not at all into moral victories or anything like that. But I just feel like they, I feel like they'll get better from from this weekend. And you know they're playing. I guess probably by the time this is released, probably the number one team in the country. On Wednesday night, so you know it might not matter that they sing "Kumbaya" in the locker room before the game, but uh, I think they're going to play two good games this week, we'll I, see, and we'll see what that looks like. I said it. I said it on the locker room Sunday. This team, it won't surprise me at all if they sweep this week. It, it just won't like it, just the kind of making all the hands or all the fans pull their hair out. Um, I, you know, I actually think the fact that you know they're not a fringe one or whatever, you know, I think that helps them. I don't, I don't, I don't think this team was going to be built to have the pressure on it. If they lose a few and not kind of go under the radar a little bit, I think that probably helps this team a, a good amount heading into the NCAA tournament. 
Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. We will see what Tennessee basketball looks like this week. Again, Alabama, 7 o'clock at TBA. That's on Wednesday. On the road at Kentucky, 1 o'clock on Saturday. 2024 is shaping up to be a monstrous year uh, for you know college athletics. You'll go from four teams to 12 teams in the college football playoff. Uh, the Big Ten is adding USC and UCLA. ESPN is now going to be the sole TV provider of the Southeastern Conference. And now we know for sure that Texas and Oklahoma will be in conference for the 16-team SEC football season by 2024. Uh, we discussed kind of what scheduling model we would have in mind um, you know, on last week's podcast. It's going to be either a 1-7 with eight conference games or a 3-6 with nine conference games. But it looks like it's going to be a nine conference game, so that 3-6 model. The question I have for you guys here today is, if you were making the decision what three permanent opponents would it be for Tennessee? I think we can all agree that it would likely be Vanderbilt and Alabama, but that number three team is the one that's kind of up in the air right now. Uh, Austin Price, kind of what direction would you go in? Which would make the most sense? And uh, do you think it'll happen that way in terms of that third team you're going to say? Well, I think that the conference is tasked with trying to balance things out. And, and, and inevitably, that's really a losing proposition because – you're inevitably going to have teams that are upset. Like Auburn, their their biggest two rivals are the best two teams in the league. So that that's a blow that you're playing Georgia and Alabama every year. Welcome to Tennessee's schedule for the last forever. Um, you know, it'd be interesting to see who they throw them a bone with their third team. Is it a South Carolina? Is it a Vanderbilt? What do they do? Is it Mississippi State? Um, as for Tennessee. You know, everybody's going to lump Kentucky in there as the three as the third team, and I see that it probably makes the most sense. Um, but you know, I could see them also throwing a South Carolina in there um, as well. But it just makes sense, Kentucky, Vanderbilt, and, and Alabama for the, for the for Tennessee. But again, when they're trying to balance this stuff out, Hubbard, there's no any there's no exact science. Now, if Tennessee were to get Kentucky, Vanderbilt, and Alabama, then I think that's a real win compared to other teams in the league. Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, I think Greg Sankey's out there saying that, you know, they're going to try to protect some things, but understand, too, that doesn't necessarily mean that every rivalry is going to be protected. Um, so what does that look like? You know, we'll we'll, we'll have to see. Um, I don't think there's anything about divisions. I think divisions are definitely going away, and, and I think it's going to be the 6-3 ultimately, because, Rob, I don't think there's going to be enough schools who are going to say, hey, let's play an eight-game schedule. I think TV and everybody involved there is going to say, we need a nine-game conference schedule. 
So I, I don't think an eight-game schedule is a remote possibility. I, I think mean, how could you not, that. Brent? If you have a 16-team mega conference, how could you not play another conference game? I agree. I mean, totally. I, agree. I, mean, I, think, I know some schools have said they don't want to do that, but I, it, I don't think that's going to matter what they want to do on that one. Yeah, I don't blame them. And if I'm ESPN and stroking the check that, that I'm stroking for the SEC, I want more inventory. You know, I want those nine – I want everybody playing nine conference games. And it's like Eric said, if you're expanding the league, it just stands to follow that you're going to expand the, the number of conference games you play. Yeah, Greg I, Sankey uh, – go no, ahead, Austin. No, go ahead, Eric. Uh, Greg Sankey appeared on ESPN Radio Friday morning uh, kind of after this, this news was uh, public later on a Thursday night and said they hope – to kind of have a plan moving forward, eight games or nine games, one, seven, three, six, permanent opponents, kind of have to, hopes to have all that resolved by the time the spring meetings get here in Destin uh, on Memorial Day weekend. That way you can kind of start making some plans moving forward. Um, it'll be interesting to see exactly what happens. Rivalries are a big part of it, Austin, um, as is geography, as is equality. But at the end of the day, too, you're going to play every team in the SEC once every other year. So that, that's that's already improvement. If you're here for four years, if you're a student athlete, you will have gone and played in every single SEC stadium by the time you leave. I think that's incredible. That That's awesome. Uh, but hopefully there'll be a direction by at least Memorial Day weekend. Yeah, and, and that would make sense. You've got to kind of get this over the next couple of months, you know, and, and start moving in that direction. Again, you know, I, I think it's a big win for Tennessee because you get Georgia off the schedule. They're the best team in the league right now. Um, you know, and you've had to play again the top two um every year for the last several years and and so um to be able to get them off and you only play them every other year you only go to athens once every four years to me that's a real win again you're not gonna lose everybody you know the, the whole like you know, one one seven model where tennessee gets vanderbilt and and you know and that's it like that was i don't know something that was ever going to happen um six three makes the most sense and again what what does tennessee's look like but i, I think that you know for some of these, you know, league teams, it's going to be kind of interesting to see how it, how you know, how it is spaced out because, you know, what's Alabama look like? Tennessee, Auburn, and then who is it? LSU. You know, if that's the case, that's a pretty that's three pretty tough ones for Alabama. Nobody's going to be crying for the tide, but like how 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 does the conference try to balance the scheduling out? Because I think it's fascinating. Um, you know, because inevitably, I think you're going to have a few people that are like, whoa, 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 that's that's ridiculous. Here's the other question I got. Rob, how is this not basically already done? Like you, you knew these two teams were coming, whether it was 24 or 25, you, you knew this. So I, I'm not saying it's some big conspiracy, but I, I don't know that there's going to be this big push through March and April. Maybe there is to finalize it, but aren't they? Aren't they should not should they not be a ways down the road? I just I mean, all of this stuff. I mean, I, I, I they should, but I just think it's really contentious. I mean, I just think you got a bunch of you know presidents and, and ads and who are you know scared that they're getting the short end of the stick and you know really want to see it all. Late. I mean, I'm guessing. I mean, I'm speculating that you know people want to make sure that they're not you know the losers in, in all this. Like AP was talking about, what if Alabama? What, what, you know, if you present Alabama, well, you're, it's you know it's Auburn, Tennessee, and LSU. I'm kind of like, whoa, no, no. And you know, it, if it's Tennessee, if Tennessee has Alabama, Kentucky, and Vandy, I mean that's. And I'm just throwing. I mean, I'm sure there. I mean, there could be 15 examples like that out there. But I, I just, I just think you you have a lot of opportunities for people to think that they are getting the, the bad end of the deal. And, and we all know that 
that's going to cause arguments at that level. I, I think the real loser in this deal is Kentucky, especially Mark Stoops, who's got that that nice contract where you know getting to eight wins not real hard. All of a sudden, you had a ninth conference game. You put Jeff Brom at Louisville. Getting eight wins gets a little more tougher. Um, you know, Maybe he's he's not going to Starkville every other year. Yeah, again, yeah, no doubt. I mean, and, and even then, you just add that extra conference game, and inevitably, I mean, I've seen you know some of the mocks and stuff. I mean, like you start looking at it, even with Tennessee getting Kentucky, Vanderbilt, and Alabama, you start looking at who they're going to play on a year in year out basis, and it's like, man, I mean, it's like A and M, Texas. Yep. Oklahoma, and then on the other year you got Georgia, Florida, like you know LSU, LSU, like Auburn. I mean, like it's it, it's going to be it'll be more exciting for fans. There'll be better road trips. There'll be more frequent road trips. But you know the path for everybody will be way more difficult, and especially a team like Kentucky, who you know has you know been feeling like they're on the fringe of getting to Atlanta. However, you know funny that is to some fans. Yeah, they better schedule Georgia Tech. <laughs> Hey, hey, Rob, do you remember um, kind of on your point there? Remember the 2020 season? Um, and we were all just so happy to have football, first and foremost. Thankful for that. Hashtag blessed. But, I mean, that, that scheduling, that they had to redo the schedule and all that. And was it was it Arkansas that just, it was murderer's row? And it's like, how in the world is this fair? And then you see the powers that be protect Alabama and Georgia with that all-SEC schedule that season. <laughs> like, the uproar at that time, when we were just so happy to have football, it was just so minuscule compared to what this is going to be like written in stone. And this is going to be the thing moving forward. So I agree with you there. I mean, they're trying to just be, in my opinion, they're trying to be so precise and careful and trying to think this out well, through all avenues to try to make it equal for everybody. That's it's impossible. Yeah. It's just, it's not, I mean, it's not going to it, work. I mean, somebody's going to, somebody is going to be mad and you just have to, it's, it's like, I mean, I mean, it's just the way it is. There's going to be a fan base mad. There's going to be a coach mad. There's going to be an AD mad. I mean, somebody, there's no way you can take this collection of teams and throw a schedule together and everybody's going to say, well, that's equal, fair, and balanced. Because it's just, somebody's going to have a beef with everything because their schedule is going to be, in their opinion, harder than, than somebody else's schedule. Now, I will say that. And they'll be right. Yeah, and they're right. And this league is cyclical. What you can't do is you can't look at it if you're the SEC and try to figure it out balanced right now. Because here's the thing. What does school X look like in five years? Yep. Okay? Let's take Alabama, for example. What do they look like if Nick Saban's not their coach? Okay? I'm not saying Alabama can't win. Alabama fans, don't – don't don't. I, I, that's not my point. But my point is you're going to be different, Right? Five years ago, six years ago, everybody was okay with Mark Rick on their schedule. Yeah, Georgia had a lot of talent, but they weren't Kirby Smart. They weren't that kind of program at that point. So you can't look at it short-sighted. You can't worry about the fair and the balance for what 24 looks like or 25 looks like. These are long-term decisions that you're making, which is why I think you got to protect rivalries, uh, you know, and, and I think you've got to be smart about it and not get caught up so much in – you know, well, these teams are really good right now. Because, hey, newsflash, there's a lot of people that would have taken Tennessee on their schedule the last 10 years that didn't want Tennessee on their schedule in the 90s or the early 2000s. It's a cyclical you know, cycle. I mean, you're going to go up and down. Everybody in this league ha has proven through time that that's what happens. 
A lot of people are asking, why are they doing this? Why are they doing this? Why are they doing this? Well, money makes the world go round. Um, for the 2021-2022 academic fiscal year, the revenue split in the Southeastern Conference of the 14 teams that just came out a couple of days ago, $49.9 million. Now, it was a little bit higher last year, um, but at like 54, I believe. And that depends on a lot of different things like the college football playoffs. Anybody want to venture what the expected revenue split's going to be in the Southeastern Conference with 16 teams? And the new TV contract. And the new TV contract. Anybody want to guess? Million. How much? Seventy-eight million. Close. The, according to what I can find, seventy million dollars in expected revenue split amongst the sixteen well, SEC teams. Which is why the SEC said, "Yeah, we're open to expansion." And Texas and Oklahoma went, "Take me, take me, take me. Please put me in the league because they're not getting that kind of money out of the Big Twelve. You know." And people were asking why. Well, this is dumb. Why is UCLA, why is USC going from the Pac-12 to the Big Ten? Makes no sense. UCLA split a couple of years ago in terms of the Pac-12 revenue split. They got like $28 million. They're like, take me. I don't care. Freaking flyer miles. I'll, I'll go. I'll play. It's all about the money. That's pretty all wild. The They're basically you know doubling Rob's annual income. <laughs> Almost. Almost. <laughs> The, you know, I, I, I will the say this. It wouldn't make sense. The Big Ten's a tough sell. Just, yeah, just that's, from a, that's that's hard. I know the money's there. I mean, that that is a clear money grab. Whereas Texas and the SEC is not the most far-fetched idea, unlike USC and the Big Ten. Yeah, I mean, you've already got a school there. I mean, right. your conference already has a school in that league. You've got a you know, Oklahoma's a border state. You know, with, with a couple of, of conference members, I will say back to the six-three thing. I think the only fair and equitable way to do it. I, I think you should just let Jimmy Sexton pick it. <laughs> just have him draw it up. Josh Heifel's going to wish he would have taken that deal and signed that contract to have him as his agent then, because who knows what that thing might look like. <laughs> Time's already changing. College athletics, college football, and right here in the Southeastern Conference, 2024, Tennessee will officially welcome Texas and Oklahoma for football. And uh, there's going to be more money all around, and it's going to look completely different. No divisions, likely a ninth conference game and three permanent opponents. Who will those three permanent opponents be? Um, we'll find out at some point over the spring and uh, moving forward. It'll it'll look good. Uh, Tennessee basketball trying to bounce back. It's got a tough sled this week. Alabama at home and then Kentucky on the road. And um, Gus Manning, what a life. 99 years of age of VFL in every sense of the phrase there, that has been the VolQuest Podcast. Appreciate you guys for tuning in, hanging out with us here today. Austin Price, Rob Lewis, Brent Hubs, I'm Eric Kane. Big thanks to our friends over at Exterior Home Solutions for making this possible, and a big thank you. We'll see you on Thursday for the mailbag edition of the VolQuest Podcast. You've been listening to the VolQuest Podcast every week here on VolQuest. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.